Loving Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your love for these people. And Father, as we consider things of the most serious nature, I pray that you give us attention. I pray you'd help us to understand. I pray you'd protect us from misunderstanding the words that I'm going to say. Give us by your Holy Spirit true understanding. And I pray, please, that these guys would understand where they stand before you. I pray, please, that people in this room would come to know you uh, through what you have to say to them from your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, I had an introduction based around uh, the song Breakdown by Jack Johnson, which in high school was my favorite song. But I've scrapped that introduction uh, because there's something that I need to say to you guys more. I'm scared for you guys. I care about you guys more than you know. It's a drop in the bucket compared to God's love for you. But I'm scared for some of you. I'm scared where you'll go after you die. Jesus said there are two destinations, heaven or hell. There's no third option. And there are people in this room, if you died right now, it wouldn't be heaven. There are three sorts of people in this room. Some of you think you're sweet with God, and you are. Heaven's waiting for you after you die. Some of you know that you're not sweet with God. You know that if you died tonight, it wouldn't go well for you. And I'm scared for you guys. But some of you think that you're sweet with God, but you're not. If you died tonight, you'd be in for a shock. And it's for you that I'm most scared. You know, one day I will stand in front of God and explain to Him how I cared for each of your souls. Did I warn you? Did I make it clear to you how you could be saved? And this is the most important talk that I'll give on fat because as we look at this part of Exodus, you will find out if you are sweet with God. And He loves you so much. He does want you to come home to Him. And He's done everything to make it possible. And on Judgment Day, I don't want to watch you tell God that you simply couldn't be bothered to listen. Please, guys, listen to what God has to say to you this morning. Have you got the question? How do you know if you're sweet with God? And if not, how can I get sweet with Him? The events that we've just read about happen to help us answer that question. So let's start with point number one. The Passover. It was a night to remember. Now, do you guys uh, remember the story in Exodus so far? God's people have been suffering in slavery. There's been murders, oppression. And we've seen that Yahweh's taken on Pharaoh, shown his power. And we've seen Pharaoh harden his heart and, and refuse to let the people go. But as we get to Exodus chapter 12, verse number 1, Yahweh tells his people they need to get ready. First, he says in verse 2, You're going to need new calendars. Take out your phones, he would have said perhaps today, and make your calendar start from this month that we're in now. Now, what's that saying about what's going to happen? It's saying this is going to be so big that you're going to now date everything from this. This is going to be like your birthday. This is the day you become my people. And it's actually the month we're in right now. April, uh, what we call April, is the start of the Jewish calendar and all because of this. And in verse 3 it says, On the tenth day of this month, every household should get a lamb. I recognize this is a horse. I didn't have a lamb. 
Verse 5 says that the lamb needs to be a perfect lamb, one year old. And verse 6 says that on the 14th day of the month at the full moon, as it's getting dark, everyone should kill their lamb. (laughs) Verse 7 says that you're supposed to take the blood and paint it on the outside of the door frame of your house. Oh, oh, that's on my iPad. <laughs> that's not good. Let me just wipe that off. I'm changing pages. There we go. Okay, that'll do. We'll watch that later. Um, and then it says in verse 8 that you're supposed to, to cook the meat on a fire. Now, I didn't bring a fire, but I did bring a barbecue. And the, the reason's the same. Why do Australians like to barbecue? Because it's the quickest way to cook meat. Same for them. And it says you're supposed to cook it with uh, bitter herbs and some flat bread okay why is bitter herbs because they're the quickest to find why flat bread it's the quickest to cook okay so you're supposed to to put this on the barbecue all right and uh and when that's done you got your you got your lamb okay (laughs) and and verse 8 says that you're supposed to to eat it now i haven't i haven't actually cooked that lamb so i'm not going to eat that but it says that you're supposed to eat it all verse 8 uh verse 10 says don't leave any leftovers eat everything verse 11 says some weird stuff as well look at verse 11 it says this is how you to eat it with your cloak tucked into your belt okay and with your your sandals on your feet i don't own sandals what else verse 11 say i need i need my staff in my hand okay It says, eat it quickly because this meal is the Lord's Passover. Now, what do you think all of this is telling them? It's telling them you need to be ready to leave. My mom actually uses these when she goes for walks. It's saying, saying the rescue is going to happen that night. And so then Yahweh tells them why. In verse number two, it says, on that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down dead every firstborn of both people and animals. And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am Yahweh. Verse 13 says that the blood on the doors will be a sign. And when I see the blood, Yahweh says, I will pass over you. The judgment won't touch you when I punish Egypt. And then a weird thing happens. Thirdly, Yahweh tells them how they should remember this night. It says um, in verse 14, this is a day that you're supposed to commemorate and remember forever. uh, It says there, for generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. And so uh, it's supposed to be a week-long celebration. And Jewish people still celebrate this. They, They did it just this month. And it says in verse, I think it's verse 18, gather all the people and have a big assembly. And then each person in their own households should sit down with a whole household and have a meal. A meal to remember this night. Well, that, that first one's not to remember. That's it's happening. And then after that, so that's verse 18. It says, in their houses, every Israelite family should eat bread without yeast and a lamb roast over the fire. And verse 25 says, do it every year. Look at verse 26. 
when your children ask you, as you might be thinking right now, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, this is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord. Now, everything I've just said is what God told Moses to tell the people, basically saying, get ready. We've had nine plagues. This is the the tenth, the last one. This is the rescue that Yahweh has been building up to and it's about to happen. They can know for sure this is the night they will leave slavery. And it works. Exactly as God said that night, Pharaoh let them go. Look at verse 31. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up! Leave my people, you and the Israelites, go. Worship the Lord as you've requested. Take your flocks and your herds, as you've said, and go. And also, bless me. The Egyptians, verse 33, urged the people to hurry and leave the country, for otherwise, they said, we will all die. In verse 35 and 36, the people asked their Egyptian neighbors for jewelry and clothes. God told them to, to do that. And the Egyptians pretty keen to get rid of them just give them show bags full of stuff so look at verse 40 now the length of time that the israelite people lived in egypt was 430 years at the end of 430 years to the very day all the lord's divisions left egypt they're out of there yahweh has done it he's given them their great escape And now, just as he promised, they begin their road trip into the promised land. That, Eva Youth, we've just seen, was the Passover. And it was a night to remember. A night that God wants them to celebrate every year. Now, for some reason, I'm not entirely sure why, Jono gave me a model car to take on my honeymoon. Okay? That's completely bizarre to me. But um, here's a picture we took with it. And um, it's kind of funny, I think it looks like I'm a giant reaching down to like pick up a car. Um, now, if you studied a model car, you'd actually be able to learn probably a fair bit about the real car. You'd probably be able to recognize it. But, state the obvious, a model car is not a real car and it's nowhere near as good as the real thing. Sure, Captain Obvious, what point are you making? Here's the reason that Yahweh wants them to, to do this feast every year and remember this event so much. It's because it's a model of something bigger. See, this is a huge moment for these people. It's a real escape. But it's not the ultimate escape. The Passover happened to teach us about an event that's even bigger. And so I need to let you in on something about the Bible. It's all about Jesus. Every single part of it. You should say, prove that to me. All right. In Luke 24, verse 27, it's up on the screen. It says, this is Jesus, it's about Jesus. um, And it says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Do you catch that? In all the scriptures, there's stuff about Jesus. Even in Moses, the guy who wrote this book. This picture is Dan Ford making this exact point on fat in this exact spot two years ago. And what he's doing there with that arrow, he's saying the whole Old Testament, the first half of the Bible, the bit that we're reading now, is like a big arrow pointing to, who do you think? Jesus, okay? The whole Old Testament is like a big arrow that points to Jesus. It's pointing to the true rescuer. See, Moses 
Moses the rescuer was born in a situation where people were trying to kill him to point to Jesus, the true rescuer, who, if you know the Christmas story, was born in a situation where people tried to kill him. And if you look through Exodus, um, you'll see so many different things that point to Jesus, and the Passover is one of them. This was a huge night in the history of God's people, the biggest night. See, Australians, we celebrate Gallipoli, Christians celebrate Easter, God's people celebrated the Passover. But it all happened to teach us something. And this is the key to knowing if you're sweet with God, getting what this teaches. See, point number two, the first great escape was to teach us that Yahweh saves through a sub. Now, I'm not talking about a a sandwich from Subway. I'm not talking about he saves through a submarine or through a big speaker in the back of a P-plater's car. No, I'm talking about sub as in substitute, like a substitute teacher. Um, And the the class goes crazy and Bart Simpson has to write... I'm not authorized to, to fire a substitute teacher. Um, a substitute is a swap, okay? You swap one thing for another thing. So, for example, substitute salt, okay? I have no idea what substitute salt is, but there you go. It's an example. Um, another classic example of a sub is in sport. One player comes off and another one goes on. It's a swap. Go what a sub is. And the big thing that the Passover teaches us is that Yahweh saves... Through a sub. The lamb is a substitute for the people. It dies instead of them. And this model is a picture of the real thing of Jesus, the true great escape. This helps us understand why Jesus died. Jesus died as our sub. And that's point number three in your booklets. On the next page there. And this is the key to working out if you're sweet with God. Jesus, the true great escape. See, he is the bigger and better Passover lamb. Have a look at that verse in your booklets, also up on screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. What's that verse saying? Jesus is our Passover lamb. He's the bigger and better Passover lamb. See, that first Passover and all those lambs, they were the model car. But Jesus is the real deal. And by the way, that's why we've just had Easter in April. It's always around April because that's when the Passover was. And it moves to make sure it's close to the full moon because that's when the Passover lambs were sacrificed. We do that because Jesus is the bigger and better Passover lamb. Okay, so if we can understand the first great escape, it will help us understand how Jesus is our sub. It will help us work out if we're sweet with God. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to kill two, two birds with one stone. Do you see how under point two in your booklets, there's a bunch of headings or sentences? And under point three, there's a bunch that are almost exactly the same. We're going to hit both those sides at the same time. Side one is what we learn about the first great escape. And side two is what that means for Jesus and us. So you ready for this? If you want to know whether you are sweet with God, Thing number one that you need to know is that God's punishment is coming. Yesterday, we saw Yahweh give Pharaoh a bunch of warnings and chances. He got another one in chapter 11. And now here in chapter 12, the punishment comes crashing down. Look at verse 29. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, 
from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and Egyptians got up during the night and there was a loud wailing in Egypt for there was not a house without someone dead. What's the punishment there? It's death for every firstborn in Egypt. So I would have died because I'm an oldest child. My wife would have died. She's an oldest child. My uncle Graham, he's the oldest in my mum's family. My cousins Ben, Tom, Hannah, Gemma, one in each of those families. If we were Egyptians in that situation, we would have died. And I reckon this raises a question for us. How is it okay for God to kill people? I wonder if you've ever asked that. Maybe it's reading the Bible. Maybe it's people that you know who die. It's a question that I've wrestled with as well. And so I want to give you four thoughts on why I think it is okay for God to kill people. Number one, the Bible says that God's good, loving, fair, and that he knows more than us. So even if we can't see how it's fair, it would be pretty arrogant of us to pretend that we know better than God. I think a lot of people approach God pretty arrogantly. It's, it's like they're sitting on the throne and God's on trial. And the 14-year-old or the 25-year-old or the 55-year-old is judging the all-powerful, all-knowing creator of the universe who's been around forever. Do you guys see why that's backwards? We need to be less arrogant and not try to tell God what he can do. But I do think it's okay for us to think about these things humbly. And so secondly, there's a big difference between a human taking another human's life compared to God taking a human's life. So the problem with a human taking another human's life is that we're taking something that doesn't belong to us. In fact, the Bible says that you don't even have the right to take your own life. Because your life doesn't belong to you, it belongs to God. He's the owner of everything in the universe, including us and our lives. He gave us our life, so we belong to Him. And so when a human takes another human's life, they take something that belongs to God. But when God takes someone's life, does He have a right to do that? Yes, because He gave it to us. And so when someone that we know dies... We shouldn't get angry with God. He gave us the gift of life and it's really up to him when he takes it away. But three, not only that, we've actually rejected God and we actually deserve punishment from him. Humanity has said, stuff you God, go away. And every single one of us in this room has rejected God as the ruler over us. The problem is sin. It's a cancer. It's choking out our life force, forcing a separation from a holy and perfect God. So Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, The wages of sin is death. We've used that same breath that He graciously gave us to curse Him. We deserve punishment. And the punishment is death. God says, Give my breath back. So when God takes a human's life, not only is it fair because He owns it, but it's doubly fair because we actually deserve punishment from him. And I think when you think about all of that, it takes a while to get your head around it, but when you get in your head, you shouldn't ask, how is it okay for God to kill a human? The real question is, how come he hasn't wiped us all out already? Pharaoh and us get so many days here, so many chances to come back to him. 
That's because of God's incredible mercy and his patience and his love. The fourth thing I want to say is that it's even more okay here because of the terrible evil that's being done. Don't forget chapter 1. Not only Pharaoh, but the, the whole Egyptian nation has been murdering Israelite children. So these are the last people who could complain if God takes lives. They've done terrible evil. And so that's why God's punishment is coming. Guys, it's time for us to get rid of our soft toy view of God. God is good, but he's not a soft toy. He's like Aslan in Narnia. When Lucy first hears about Aslan, she asks, Is he a man? Certainly not, says Mr. Beaver. Don't you know who the king of beasts is? Aslan is a lion, the great lion. So Lucy asks, is he a safe lion? And Mr. Beaver says, of course he's not safe, but he's good. The movie shows the tenderness of this great lion. Even a little girl can walk up to him. But also his ferocity in that he makes even the strongest warrior shake with fear. That's like our God. You can trust him. He's good. He'll never do wrong. But he's not safe. And here's what this means for you and me. You can run away from whatever you want in this life, but there's one reality you can't run away from. God's eternal punishment is coming. And that's what you might want to write under what this teaches us about Jesus. See, you look at how God rescues his people in Exodus. It's by putting an end to the evildoers. And when Jesus comes back and finishes his true great escape, he will put an end to evil. He will put an end to his enemies. And so the reason I'm scared for some of you guys is that right now you're in that group of God's enemies. You and I need to learn from this how deadly it is to continue to ignore or reject God. We've seen what the punishment for sin is. It's death, not just in this life, but eternally. Listen to one, uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his angels. He will punish those who don't know God and don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Guys, listen to me. You and I are sinners. We have nothing to look forward to eternally except the punishment of God unless you found salvation in Jesus. How can you relax if you're not sure that you're saved? Thing number two tells us how we can be saved. Let's look back at that first great escape under point two. God's people could escape God's punishment if they were saved by the blood of a flawless lamb. See, God says that the punishment will skip over the houses with blood on their doors. That's what that was all about. So have a look at verse 23. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the tops and sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorway. And he won't permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Now, what's going on there? I think it's a little bit like a wedding ring, okay? In some ways. <laughs> um, one day you're thinking, I think I'll fall in love today. And so you go down to the park because that's where love happens. And you see this person and you're like, like Nikki B, like, hey. 
But then you see the wedding ring. Well, probably not at your age, but at my age. And the wedding ring, what does that tell you? It's a sign that that person has already got someone. And so you pass over them. Kind of works. Or it's like when you're looking for a toilet. Okay, there's a row of toilets. You pass over the ones that say in use or engaged. Because that sign on their door tells you that that toilet's already being punished. Okay? (laughs) Or the teacher tries to give you a detention, but you've got that slip of paper that says you've already done detention that day, and so their punishment passes over you. When God passes through bringing death, the blood on the door says death's already been here. Death doesn't need to visit here again. The lamb is their sub. The lamb has died instead. And so God's people are saved. But do you see the message that this would send to them? Don't think that you're innocent and the Egyptians are the ones who are guilty. No, you're sinners too. Death should come to you as well. But I want to save you. I'm going to give you a way out. You can be saved by the blood of the substitute lamb. And so EV Youth, here's what this means for you and me. This happened to teach us how Yahweh saves. If you want to be saved, you need to somehow find a sub to take your place. And that's what Jesus came to do. He loves you so much that he died in your place so that we can be saved by the blood of a flawless man. You might want to write that under Jesus. This is what it teaches about Jesus. Listen to how 1 Peter chapter 1 says it. It's on the screen. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. And so guys, here is the bigger and better escape. You can be redeemed. Remember, that means set free. How? With the precious blood of Christ just like the original Passover lamb. We've seen that the punishment for sins is death and Jesus died. It was a swap, a substitution. He takes the hit for us. And so if you are marked by Jesus' blood, when God comes to punish you, he will see death's already been here. Just like in the Passover. I don't need to punish this person again. If you're ever caught in the bush with a bushfire coming uh, I'm told this is what you should do now um, if you actually take this advice and it doesn't work don't blame me but I'm pretty sure it's right okay say the winds blow on the bushfire in this direction what you're supposed to do is light a fire on this side of you and let it burn away that way and once that's burnt away a big enough patch it's actually safe to go and stand in there because the fire is always already burnt there it's not going to burn there again And that's how Jesus is our sub. He takes the hit for us. God's already punished Jesus, poured out his punishment on him. And if you come to Jesus and hide in him as your savior, as your substitute, the fire's already burned there. Jesus' blood gives you protection from the fire of God's punishment. And so, Eva, there are two options. Number one, you can face God's punishment on your own. Or number two, you can get Jesus as your sub to take it for you. Now, to me, that sounded like too good an offer to miss out on. And that's why I became a Christian. 
And so a question you should be asking is, how do I get in on that? And that's thing number three. You get in on it by trusting. See, what would make someone kill a lamb, pack up everything that they own, and get ready to leave? Well, you... You would do that if you really believed that Yahweh's punishment is coming and if you really believe that he is able to set you free. In other words, if you trust Yahweh and you show that trust by putting the blood on the door. So the key to getting in this salvation is by trusting Yahweh. And here's what this means for you and me. This happened to teach us how we get in on Jesus' rescue. You get in on it by trusting Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 says, For it is by grace, the word grace means freedom, free, gift. For it is by grace, not something you pay for or earn, a gift, that you have been saved through faith. In other words, trusting. And this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. It's not enough just to believe that God exists. See, the Israelites could have believed in God that he exists, but not put blood over their door. It's not even enough to believe that Jesus can save you. When I was in year nine, I did believe that Jesus could save me, but I don't think that I'd actually put my trust in him to save me. Have you guys heard the story of Charles Blondin? Put your hand up if you've heard of this guy. Okay, three of you. Cool. Well, you're about to find out about him. He was um, a world-famous tightrope walker, and he crossed the Niagara Falls, which is a waterfall 51 meters high, And he crossed it backwards and forwards. And every time he did a different stunt, like he rode across it on a bicycle. And then one time he even went on there, uh, carried a stove and cooked an omelette on this tightrope. Now one time, Blondin pushed a wheelbarrow across the falls. And there's this crowd watching and there's like huge applause. Everyone's cheering. And then he turns to the crowd and he asks them, Do you believe that I can push a person across in this wheelbarrow. And the crowd shouting, yes, yes, you're the greatest tightrope walker in the world. You can do anything. Okay, says Blondin. Who wants to get in the wheelbarrow? See, that's the difference between believing that Blondin could do it and actually getting in the wheelbarrow and trusting him to do it. So how do you get in on this salvation? You get in on it by in a weird way, getting in Jesus' wheelbarrow. If you want to know whether you're sweet with God, the question is whether, it's not whether you believe that Jesus can be your sub, it's whether you're trusting that Jesus is your substitute. It's letting go of whatever else you're trusting in to save you and grabbing onto Jesus with two hands and saying, Jesus, I trust you to save me. Now, I'm not going to talk about the other two points. But the Passover and Jesus' bigger and better rescue, they both have a meal to remember it, if you want to write that down, and a land to travel to. And tomorrow we're going to see how the promised land is another model, a picture pointing to the amazing land that we have waiting for us, heaven where we'll be with God forever. Because I really want to ask you right now, is there blood on your door? That might sound like a weird question. But unless there's blood on your door, you're not sweet with God. Do you see how much He loves you? He's done everything needed to make it possible for you, despite the fact you've walked away from Him, to come back to Him. First, He did the Passover to teach us about it. Then He sent His Son, Jesus, to be our substitute. 
And I said at the start that I'm scared for some of you because some of you think you're sweet with God, but you're not. Do you realize that God's eternal punishment is coming towards you because of the things you've done? Do you see how Jesus' death takes that punishment for you as your substitute? And most importantly, have you asked Jesus to be your substitute and put your trust in him to do that? That's what I mean by is there blood on your door. That's the way you get sweet with God. And I hope right now you're working out if you've done that. Now, when you've gotten sweet with God through Jesus, your substitute, you begin the most amazing relationship with the God of the universe and you start to live your life for him. But that's not what saves you. What saves you is Jesus, your sub, and you get in on that by trusting. Guys, there's a prayer on the screen. Now, there's nothing magical about this prayer, but I want you to read it and decide whether this is something that you want to say to God. And if it is, where you are, just pray it in your heart to God. I'm going to leave that up there for a bit and then I'll jump back up. Now, if you're not sure where you stand with God, if you want to do that or not, your leaders would love to talk to you. I'd love to talk to you. Better to think about it more than to rush into it without realizing what you're getting yourself into. But if you know right now that that is your prayer to God, why don't you pray it with me now? Almighty God, Father of our Lord Jesus, maker of all things, judge of all people, I acknowledge and regret my many sins that I've thought and said and done against you. I admit that my sins deserve your judgment and punishment. I genuinely turn from my sins and I'm sorry for them. Thank you for sending Jesus to die as my substitute. I put my trust in him to take my punishment. Thank you that his blood saves me. Please forgive me, God. Please help me to always serve you and please you from now on. Amen.